And I want to not necessarily give you some very practical things today, but really today what I want to do is I want to light a fire underneath you. I want to give you some fuel. I want to give you some passion. And uh, we're starting a series called I Love My Church. And I thought it would only fit, it makes sense this morning, for us to start with us really understanding where we come from and what we're actually a part of. Because I don't think many of us really understand the ramifications of today we're sitting in a seat, but we don't really realize the history that has gone on over the past two millennia for the church to actually get to where it is today. So I want to take just 10 minutes real quick. I want to give you a quick history lesson. Anybody, you just love history when you hear something, you like to research facts, you like all that kind of stuff. I love that. So what I want to do is I just want to give you a quick history lesson of really how you got here today. And I know some of you are saying, well, I woke up, got out of bed, got in my car, and I drove here. That's how I got here. But there really is a greater understanding of how you got here. And let me start it off by saying this. The church is the only organization in the world that has been around for two millennia. It's the only, I know some of you probably grew up in Crowley your whole life, and you're like, I swear, Rudox has been there forever, okay? But listen, the church is the only organization that has withstood every test of time, unless what? It's still here. It's still standing. In Matthew 16, 28, Jesus promises, he actually makes a promise, he says, you know what? I am going to build my church, and he points to Peter, and he says, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. If you don't know it, the name Peter actually means rock. He says, on this rock, I will build my church. And here's the cool thing. The church actually began, like an official organization began 50 days after Jesus' death, which was in A.D. 35. The church began 50 days after his, bit, after his death. Then the Holy Spirit descends on the day of uh, Pentecost in Acts 2. And then Peter preaches his first sermon. And get this, this is every preacher's dream. 3,000 people come to know Jesus on that day. He preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people come to know Jesus. Now, initially, the converts, all the Christians, all the people that were following the faith were Jewish. And then something astonishing happens. This revelation is revealed to the Apostle Paul, and he begins to understand that, hey, Jesus did not just come for one color. He did not just come for one race. He did not just come for one demographic. But ultimately, he came for all of humanity. He came for all of the world. And so this is the very first time that one unified message transcends every culture. So it doesn't matter what your background comes from. It doesn't matter if you grew up on the south side of Crowley, the west side of Crowley, the east side of Crowley. Wherever you grew up on, this is what the apostles and Jesus is saying. No matter where you're at, the message is now available to you. So here's what this means practically for you. Wherever you're at in your life right now, wherever your marriage is at, wherever your kids are at, wherever your job is at, wherever your head is at right now, you ever feel like sometimes you just, you feel like you're just living life in like this fog and you're kind of going, I'm just kind of getting by. Listen, what the church is actually saying to you today is wherever you're at, the gospel is for you right where you're at right now. The gospel ultimately is good news and it's available to all. Then about AD 70, the temple that Solomon built is destroyed And the persecution of Christians begins. And so for about 240 years, Christians are persecuted, murdered. And this is what, this is really cool. 
this is how the church begins to spread. Through persecution, through suffering, through Christians being chased all throughout Africa and all throughout Europe. You have all these people taking the good news of the gospel because they're fearing their life. And they're planting down in different cities and the good news is being proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So listen, you, you have to understand this. Many of you, you don't even realize it, but you sit here today because men and women have sacrificed for you to be here. In AD, uh, in AD 312, a Roman emperor named Constantine, maybe you learned about him in high school, he's, he encounters Jesus and he basically says, hey, listen, Christianity is going to be Rome's primary religion. Now, this was kind of a good thing, and it was actually a really, really bad thing, because basically what Constantine was saying, he says, listen, I don't care if you believe in Jesus or not, this is the Roman religion, and you're going to follow it. So what this did is it converted a lot of people, but it also made a lot of people feel like, listen, I'm not going to have anything shoved down my throat. And so what they did is they kind of just, uh, what, what we do today, they kind of like fake it until you make it, right? <laughs> They kind of got this syndrome of, man, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus just because it's the cultural popular thing to do, but I'm not going to really surrender. I'm not going to really give my life to him. Then through the next few centuries, we have a few councils that form. We actually have um, the Bishop of Rome. He kind of deems himself as the first pope, declaring full power over all the churches. And then there is this really odd um, thing that happens in church history called the Middle Ages. And you have people that basically are saying, hey, we're going to kill people in the name of Jesus, which uh, that doesn't go so well, right? So you have this really, really dark time. And then you have a few men that come along. Uh, primarily it starts with a man named John Stott. And he says, listen, I think all the Middle Ages, I think all this darkness, all this oppression that the church is facing, I think it could come to an end if people could actually read the Bible for themselves. Because back in this day, um, maybe you know this or maybe you don't, but for people like me and you, we weren't available to read the Bible. We weren't able to read it. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, we weren't good enough as commoners. It was only for those that had studied it for years, and it was only for the priests, and it was only for the pastors, and it was only for those people. But for the average person, you weren't good enough to read the Bible. And John Stott says, hey, listen, everybody should be able to read the Bible. So he begins to translate the Bible into German language. And back in that day, it was against the law to do this. Like if they found out a commoner was translating the Bible or um, doing it, because many men before him had tried, what they ended up doing, he prints all these Bibles, and you can go still see the spot in uh, Europe, and they took all the Bibles that they had printed, and when they found out what he was doing, they put him in the middle of a town, and they put a stake there, and they surrounded him with the Bibles, and they lit all the Bibles on fire, and they burnt him at the stake, and he literally utters these last words before he dies. He says, a hundred years from now, a man will come along and he will do the very thing that I failed to do. And people just saw it as something like, yeah, sure, whatever. Well, literally, to the day, there's a man that comes along by the name of Martin Luther, and in 1517, this German monk nails these 99 theses, these objections to the way that the church is running, and he says, listen, I don't care what's going on, but I'm about to tell everybody about Jesus, and I'm about to give a Bible to everybody, and nobody can stop me, and you can kill me if you want to. And so he begins to translate the Bible in German language. There's a whole litany of history that goes on about it. But it is the very first time that people begin to read the Bible for the first time in their own homes. 
And then in 1790 to about 1900, the church showed an unprecedented amount of missionary work. This is when the Puritans and the pilgrims, believe it or not, they came to America and they tried to settle a Christian nation. They're trying to expand the gospel all over. And then here's where it gets interesting. I know some of you, maybe you're like, okay, why do I need to know this? Why is this important to me right now? How does this apply to what I'm going through? Listen, in 2000, actually in 1999, Pastor Jacob planted a church in Broussard. And then in 2000, he sent my dad to Jennings to plant a church in Jennings, Louisiana. And then in 2007, we send a team to Eunice, and we plant a church in Eunice. And then in 2014, we announce that we're going to start a church here in Crowley. And listen, you sit here today with all of that history behind you. All of that history behind you. So many of you sit in chairs that honestly other people have sacrificed for you to get here. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jennings and Eunice, when we started this church in Crowley, they gave us. It wasn't a loan. It wasn't like, hey, we'll give this to you if we see some fruits off of it. It was, here's $200,000, go plant a church. Some of you, you wouldn't know what to do with that. (laughs) You're like, oh my God. And you sit here today with all of that history behind us, and this is what the tragedy is. We sit here today with these men and women that have sacrificed so much for you to be here today, and we just count church as something average. We don't get excited about it. It it has become nominal to us. It has become normal. And the message and the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ has just become something that is plain and it doesn't really affect our lives. And the only reason that we go to church is because our grandmother made us or our mom is sitting right next to us and she said, you are coming to church whether you want to or not. Listen, you know what the saddest thing I see all the time? And it, it is kind of funny, but football season is coming around, right? I'm just going to throw this out there. I'll be the most hated pastor in the face of the earth. I hate football, okay? I do. I hate, I, I, don't, I don't see what the point is with a, guy, with a bunch of guys running around in tight pants chasing a leather ball and getting paid like 20 bajillion dollars to do so. <laughs> and, um, but many of us love football, right? And when you walk in up into the stadiums, when you walk into the stadium, there is this electric atmosphere, right? People are like, I don't know why I'm cheering and screaming, but I am just going for it, right? There is this energy, there is this excitement, and then Sunday morning comes around and we sit in church and we're like, this is boring. There's all this energy, there's all this excitement. You know, there's a lot of churches that meet all throughout America. They're called football games, they're called movie theaters, they're called malls, it's called social media. And we get so excited about it. And we walk into a place that is filled with people that want to be on the same path and mission that you are. And you're just not there yet. And here's the truth. I don't know if you believe this statement or not, but I could give you scripture after scripture that would support this claim. The local church is the hope of the world. Listen, I'm telling you right now, if you're struggling in your marriage... You need to get invested into community here at church. If you're struggling in anything, whatever is going on, Jesus loved the church so much that he actually died for it. 
And we treat it as something so nominal. We treat it as something as less importance. Listen to what he says in Matthew 16, 15 through 19. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? He's asking this question to Peter. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Now watch this. And now I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And I love this line, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So number one, I've got five points this morning. Number one, what is the church? Number one, the church is not a building, it's you and me. The church is not a building, it's you and it's me. Many people think that in order to be a part of a church, you have to have a building. And listen, the thing that I loved about the flood and the, lo- the thing that I love about our church today is that, honestly, we don't have a building. <laughs> and this theater was flooded for a weekend, and we still had church. And it was awesome. Yeah. And you know what's so cool? Even on the Sunday that we were canceled, there was no, there, we didn't have church once, one of the Sunday mornings. We still had church because there were people that were mobilizing all over this city, serving, gutting out homes, rescuing people, operating a relief center, operating a shelter. We were still the church. That is exciting. Listen, I, I'm not trying to be cynical of football. Some of you guys love football. And listen, if you love it, then all, all the power to, you know, um, But here's the truth. I want you to consider some priorities in your life today. Are there things that I get so pumped up about and so excited about that in reality will not make any eternal difference in my life? At all. I'm not saying that we can't. I think God gave us football. God gave us art. He gave us music. He gave us all those things so that we can enjoy them. But at the, t- at the same time, I think that there has to be some kind of things that we drill down on and say, this is priority, this is where I'm going to focus my energy, this is where I'm going to focus my time. You know, a flood could come through here and wipe out this building, and we would still be the church. Because we are a people, the church is a people, it's you and me. It's why Jesus even says, hey Peter, upon this rock, when he says that word, he's literally saying his name again. Hey Peter, upon Peter, upon you, I will build this rock, I will build this church. So he's pointing to him and saying, hey, I'm going to start this church through you. And if you get this, if you understand that the church is the hope of the world, then guess what? There is no darkness and there is no evil that can come against you. It will not prevail and it will not be victorious over you. So let me ask you this question. Do you agree with this statement? The church is the hope of the world. And I think for most of us, we probably nod our heads and say yes. But when it comes down to it, I don't think most of us think about church this way. I don't think we think about it that way. I don't think that we think throughout the week like, man, the church is the hope of the world. Our hope is usually in our relationships. Our hope is usually in our bank account. Our hope is usually in whoever is giving us attention that week. That's where our hope is usually in. Most of us, if we're real brutally honest with ourselves, the church is a place that we view just to gather just to see friends, just to connect, hopefully hear some good music, hopefully have a good sermon, 
And if we're lucky, it'll affect us a little bit so that we can come in on Monday and maybe it'll last to about Tuesday. And here's the truth. I want you to walk out of here with these just ringing in your ears that today we want to say that, hey, we want this place not just to be a building. We don't want it to be just a place where people gather. We want it to be a place where you can come and say, man, there is hope there. There is life there. Jesus is there. And you know what? Whatever I've got going on in my life, I understand that I can come to this place and I can find hope and I can have a place ultimately where I can belong. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that our Savior's church is the greatest church on the face of the earth. I think it's a really good one, but here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying, hey, you know what? You just come in these doors, and we will just accommodate you, and we will welcome you, and we will just, you know, make you feel so warm and fuzzy inside. Because here's, here's the truth. I think sometimes we can give off that vibe, and then you sit in, and, and then six, seven months in, you're like, they offended me. They made me angry. And, and here's the truth. I think sometimes we, you have to understand this. No matter what place that you're at, you are always going to have an opportunity to be offended. Always. Like you, were, you, can, you can church hop and go to every church in the world that you want, and you just stay there long enough and get involved long enough, and you will be offended. You know why? Because the church is ran by imperfect people. So people may offend you, people may let, let you down, but you have to understand the church is not built on our perfections. The church ultimately is built on Jesus Christ, and he will never let you down. He'll never, well, he will offend you. <laughs> he will, actually. So here's what I don't want you to say. I don't want you to come in here and say, man, I was here for six months, I gave it a good go, I started getting involved, and then, man, you know what, I just, I didn't agree with that statement. Or that person looked at me wrong, and, and you know what, and we allow, because of those silly little offenses at times, a lot of times we end up allowing that to kind of burn us in a way where we say, you know what, all churches are like that. They're just all like that. Let me ask you a simple, this is a silly example, but I think it'll resonate with many of you in here. How many of you are married to someone today that, um, that, uh, that you weren't dating about five years ago? Anybody? Okay, or how many of you ever had a relationship and you thought like, man, this girl or this boy, this is it. This is it. I'm going to marry this person. And then like two months later, you're like, I hate that person. This, this is just not it. I knew it all along. You didn't know it all along. You were blind, like so blind, right? And what happens is maybe because you got hurt in a certain relationship and then you go to the next one without you even knowing it, you go, well, hey, he hurt me like that last time, so I'm going to throw these walls up when I'm with this other person. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Hey, I got hurt in this relationship, so you go into the next relationship hurt again. And, and here's, I'm just say it this way. This church is not your last girlfriend. <laughs> okay. So, so meaning this, every time that you go into a place, you've got to say, God, if this is where I'm going to grow, if this is where I'm going to plant my family, if this is where we're going to seek God together, then you know what? Maybe there were things that happened where I was at before, but you know what? I want to open myself up to a place where God use me whatever it takes. No matter my offenses, no matter my past, no matter my hurt. Because you've got to remember that Jesus is building his church. 
and Jesus died for his church, and Jesus loves his church, and the last thing that he wants you to do is just sit in his church. It's the last thing that he wants you to do. So number two, I love this one. The church is for perfectly imperfect people. Like you are perfectly imperfect. <laughs> and the church is for you. Romans 5, 6, 8 says it like this. For while, for while you were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's what this means. God gave his life for you when you weren't even willing to die to yourself. He gave his life for you when you weren't willing to die for yourself. We don't walk in these doors every Sunday morning because we have it all put together. Man, I hope you know that I don't stand up here every Sunday morning trying to present a message to you and say, you know what, I've got all this figured out. Because the truth is I don't. Man, I need community just like you do. I need vibrant, healthy, growing, Christ-giving relationships just like you do. And I hear it all the time, especially as a pastor, I hear this, you know, well, you know what, I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church. Or you know what, I, I don't go to that church because it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. I remember getting so frustrated with somebody when I heard that one time, and I said to somebody, you know what, I'm not going to, I love Jesus, I would go to your church, but it's probably just full of a bunch of hypocrites. I said, bro, you'd fit right in. You would fit right in. Just come on. Because here's the deal. Have you ever done something that you said you would never do, and that yet you do it again? Everybody, if we're honest with ourselves, has a form of hypocrisy. Everybody. There is, there's nobody in here that says, you know what? I am just killing it at life every day. <laughs> every day. Everybody has some form of hypocrisy. And when you use the excuse, I'm not going to church because it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites, you're totally missing the point of the gospel. Man, Jesus loved the hypocrites and the sinners so much, he actually hung out with them because he knew he needed to be with them because these were the people that really needed to experience his love. So we've got to stop using the excuse because we all fall into the same category at some point in our life. So here's what one of my favorite preachers says it this way all the time. He says, Jesus loves the version of you right now, not the future version. And you have to keep telling yourself that in order to truly be loved by God. So maybe we make the excuse, well, I'll come in the doors of the church. I'll get plugged into the church. I'll get involved in the church once I clean some things up in my life so people don't really have to dig into the dirty part and messy part. And once I get to that place of perfection, or maybe it's not perfect, but it's a whole lot better than it was. And the truth is we've been telling ourselves that over and over and over because we can't clean ourselves up on our own. You can't move forward in your relationship with Jesus without other people. Number three, the church is a place where lost people can meet Jesus and experience freedom. And listen, I, I want to speak briefly to the people that have been serving Jesus for a long time. Maybe you have a vibrant, life-giving relationship with Jesus, and we're so glad you're here, and we hope that you continue to grow deeper in your relationship. But I want you to remember that the church is a place where lost people can meet Jesus, and we must never forget that. 
the reason that you've been serving Jesus for 15, 20 years, and maybe you come into a church, because this church is very young with people that have only been serving Jesus for a very short amount of time, many of them. And the reason that you've walked into this church today is, could it possibly be because that the way that Jesus wants to grow you is because he wants you to make disciples? He wants to stretch you. He wants to grow you. He wants you to get around people that need your wisdom, that need what you know. So I encourage you, if you've been serving Jesus for a long time, man, get around some of these young people that don't know God, that maybe they're, they're genuinely searching, they're genuinely looking, like, I don't know how to have a genuine relationship with Jesus. And maybe you have the answer, maybe you have the key for them. Now, if you're lost in here today, and maybe you don't know what that means, maybe you came in here and you say, you know what, I feel a little hopeless today. I feel a little beyond God's grace today. I feel a little beyond God's hope. I feel like I've gone a little too far I feel like God can't really love me because of some of the things that I've done in my life. I would strongly encourage you to begin to read through the Gospels. Because here's what you're going to see. You're going to see the only perfect person in human history spend the majority of his ministry with the sinners. with the people that really desperately needed him. So here's the thing. If you're in a desperate situation in your life right now, it is a great opportunity to draw near to Jesus. If you're just going, man, I'm, I'm, I've had it. I don't know what else to do. Could it be that God brought you here this morning so that you could draw near to him? Could it be that God is trying to seek you out? Could it be that he's trying to pursue you today? I think if Jesus spent his time hanging out with prostitutes, turning water into wine, dining with sinners, then it's okay if we begin to start to engage in culture. I'm not saying we embrace culture, but we begin to engage it. Because you know there are certain things within culture, maybe we look at it and we criticize it. You know there are things in culture that are actually redeemable? That, that, that people maybe had used for a bad purpose that we could turn around and we could see people come to know Jesus through that? I'll tell you, one of the greatest worship experiences I've ever been to in my life was not at a church. I remember standing in, uh, my, my wife took me for my birthday to Houston, Texas, and I remember standing in this arena full of about 40,000 people listening to U2, a big band play. And he begins singing like this hallelujah chorus, and everybody doesn't even realize it. I'm sure not everybody in there is saved. They're all singing it, screaming it at the top of their lungs, and I'm just going, man, these people are worshiping, and they don't even realize it. They don't even realize it. Could it be that there are particular things within culture that God could redeem? And here's the, here's the truth. Um, and just because I do this, if you want to know people, like if as a pastor, if I want to get to know my people in the church, you know what a really good resource is? Facebook. <laughs> I've been stalking some of you. I'm just going to let you know. I'm just kidding. Um, but if you really do want to get to know people, you scroll through the Facebook. And you know what the sad thing is? On some of your pages, it literally looks like a bomb went off of like how much energy and time and effort you put into criticizing certain things. And I want you to ask yourself this question, with the time and effort and the energy that you put into criticizing certain things, what if you put that time and energy into pursuing Jesus, what would that look like? 
What would it look like? Are there things that God has given us? Are there tools that God has given us that could be redeemed? Number four, the church is a place to grow alongside family. The church is a place to grow alongside family. This is not just a place to sit. This is, just, this is a place to belong. This is a place to belong. One of the things that I love that Jory said on the video, he said, when Kelly got back, I don't, I don't know if we put it in there or not, but in the, the longer interview, he said, when she got back, he said, I knew that OSC was going to be a place where I just could not sit. <laughs> and he said, that was the reason that I didn't want to go. Because I knew that they were going to draw me out and they were going to pull me into a place that caused me to get out of my comfort zone. And the other church that I was at, I could just sit there and relax and observe and nobody was ever going to call me up and call me out. And he said, inside me, that's why there was this war in my soul because I knew that there was something more. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, we don't want this just to be a place where you sit. We want you to belong. And the only way that you feel that sense of belonging is by getting involved. Is by serving alongside of other people. See, when you're a part of a healthy life giving church family, you experience what authentic relationships look like. So you hear us talk about community all the time. What is it? Um, the word community is actually a compound word meaning com, the C O M M, meaning with, and then the unity part meaning unity. <laughs> So it means with unity. If you live in community, it means that your life functions with unity. Your life functions with unity. If your life feels a little dysfunctional right now, if you feel like you don't have unity, it's probably because you're not in community. How many of you ever went to a job site and the team wasn't on board? They all had different ideas of how you should accomplish one objective. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Everybody kind of gives their two cents. And nobody really gets anything done because there's not a clear, um, a clear path of unity of how we should accomplish this. There's division, there's chaos, and the job doesn't really get done effectively. But if you've ever walked into a job site where you have a leader that stands up and says, listen, I, you had that opinion yesterday, but this is what we're doing. And this is how it's going to go, and you go here, and you go here, and you go here, and you do that, and everything just functions well. Why? Because there's unity within the team. And within a church, there, it is possible to grow greater in your relationship with Jesus when there is unity. You know what I love about community? And I think it's the most loved thing and the most hated thing within the church. Because within community, you can't hide who you are. And the reason that most people run away from community is because you can hide who you are. The reason we come in and we just, man, we're excellent at nailing it on Sundays. We're here every Sunday. But the reason that we can kind of hide in the backgrounds and not get in a life group and not go through next step and not get involved in community and relationships because we're scared. And listen, it's a legitimate fear. There's nothing easy. There's nothing easy sitting around a table or having lunch with somebody and beginning to share your heart with somebody. I remember the first time I did it. I remember the first time I was a teenager. I just got out of Bible college, actually, and I came back to the church um, with my dad, and I was helping at different things over there, and I got plugged into a life group. I remember the first time I really started opening up. I could, like, feel my hand shaking. 
start opening up about certain things. You ever get so nervous like your lips start tingling? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, I was filming, when I was filming Kelly yesterday, she started talking, and it was hilarious, which we put it in a blooper reel, but uh, she starts talking, and the first, like, two minutes, she, we had to stop, because she's like, I can't feel my lips. <laughs> like, I'm trying to get it out, but I, I can't feel my lips. And I know some of you, when you, when you approach the idea of community or getting involved in it, it it's nerve-wracking to you. It scares the mess out of you, but here's the truth. What I realized, it only took me about two weeks within that group to get comfortable with the people that I was around. And within a matter of a few weeks, it was like everybody in that room was family, and I felt like I could share what was on my heart, and it helped me in my walk with Jesus. First Corinthians says it this way, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized in one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink from one spirit. All of us. Number five. Last one. The church is unstoppable. The church is unstoppable. Listen, it's been through two millennia. It's, it, it's had its dark days. It's had its days when it looked like it wasn't going to make it. But I can guarantee you this, as culture gets darker, the church is going to shine brighter. You know what I loved about our church? Many of you don't know this, but when the flood came, um, we had all these different organizations like coming to us saying, hey, we can help you with this, we can do this, we can, we can come in and we can give you this and we can supply volunteers, and we didn't need it. You know why? Because the church stepped up, and I genuinely believe if the church could get to a place a very healthy place where people begin to understand their roles and their parts and they begin to get involved, we're not going to need these nonprofit organizations. We're not going to need other things. You know why? Because the church will begin to function as it should. The church will begin to take care of people. The church will begin to love one another. The church ultimately is unstoppable. As Matthew 6, 18 says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I don't know if you grew up like me, but when I was younger, and it still happens a lot today, um, I've always had a huge imagination. Okay, just like gigantic. I mean, every single time me and my brothers would play like some kind of imaginary game, everybody was always coming to me and like, what's the scenario? What are we doing today? I mean, I turned like, you know, those little drain ditches in, your, uh, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the front of your house? That was like a Ninja Turtle cave for me, okay? You know, um, so we were always imagining. And I want you to just, I want to take you to a place for a second. Just imagine for a moment that you're working just this kind of boring job, and some of you are like, that's my life. <laughs> you're working this job that maybe you don't really like, and somebody comes to you and says, hey, listen, I have the most incredible job, op- job opportunity for you. Here's what you're going to do. We're going to train you for the next year, and you will become the greatest CIA agent on the face of the earth. If somebody told me that, I'd be like, I'm in. <laughs> like, I am in. I've been wanting to shoot a gun for a long time and shoot it well. And they begin to train you. They begin to show you all the tools and all the cool gadgets. And they say, all right, listen, now that you've learned everything, we're going to set you on a plane. 
and you're going to go into this nation, and they have these terrorists, and your objective is to eliminate the terrorists. I'd be like, oh my, this is the greatest job on the face of the earth, right? You go there, you accomplish your mission, you return back to the States, and you feel this amazing sense of accomplishment, right? Because for a year, you have trained, you've followed through. Not only have you trained, you feel like really cool. <laughs> you know, like, ah, somebody pull a knife on me. I will show you how to use that thing. You know what I mean? Like, you feel like just this sense of importance. This sense of what I'm doing, it really matters. Like, what I'm doing is significant. And the sad thing today is many of us don't feel that feeling about the church. Do you know that when you become a part of the church, that you are a part of the greatest organization on the face of the earth? The church is ultimately a place where we should come. We should be excited about it. It's life-giving. There is hope. And then we feel this sense of, man, I'm a part of something that is so much bigger than me. I'm a part of something that is great. I'm a part of something that ultimately is making a lasting impact. Listen, some of you may not realize it or not. You're like, okay, so what's the importance if I serve on a dream team somewhere? So what? I'm, I'm serving kids. Like, how does that change anybody's life? Do you know that there are kids that sit in our nursery today who, like, go back and beg their parents to come back to church, and now today their parents are in church? Listen, it, no matter what role you play, what part you get in, you have an eternal impact as long as you are a part of the church. The thing that I love about this is this church literally um, will be celebrating in October because it'll be a little cooler. It's not so hot. Um, but actually in about, about three days, um, we'll celebrate our second anniversary here at Crowley. Um, yeah. <laughs> And we're going to be doing a big celebration outside yet again. You can thank me later. We're going to try to do it when the weather is a little cooler. Um, but the thing I love about it is, you know what? And I'm not trying to toot my horn in any kind of way, but it's all Jesus. Two years ago, there are people that sit in, this, in these seats today that honestly, if this church wouldn't have been here, probably would be in hell. That there are people that are in here today that you will spend eternity with them because this church exists. Because this church exists. Listen, you are a part of something that has an eternal impact and it's so much bigger than you.